Hi, I'm Olaomi Brigway, and I began to experience all-round supernatural success in my life when I finally accepted that no matter how hard a person works, they will never rise above their level of thinking. Are you looking for transformation from the inside out? Then join me on the Super Abundant Life podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Super Abundant Life podcast, where we tackle real issues by examining the lives of real people and extracting real life solutions that are rooted in the wisdom of God. This is your host, Olaomi Brigway. Right, thank you and welcome to another episode of the Super Abundant Life podcast. Today, I'm going to be interviewing a very good friend of mine and someone that I respect very highly. Her name is Ibiemi Ifederu. Okay, so before I go on and on about her, I'm just going to let you know uh, what her profile and her background is. So Ibiemi is a UK qualified solicitor and she is currently senior counsel, corporate counsel company secretary and data protection officer at Orange. She leads the board of the UK division of Orange and the data privacy program. IBM is an avid speaker and she has spoken at a range of career events such as Thompson Writers and the Henley Business School. IBM serves as a school governor at Golden Main Junior School and she's the author of the book, Rewrite Your Story. She continually pushes boundaries, firmly believing that nothing is impossible, even if it's never been done. So I want to say that, you know, the motto, you know, some people will say this is, this is their motto. This is the value that drives our life. But without a question, when I look at the BME, right, that is clearly what I see all the time. I see her as someone that is always pushing barriers. If they say it can't be done, she'll be like, really? Okay, and then she'll bring it back and show you that it can be done. She's that kind of person. So it's a real honor and a privilege for me to have you here on this podcast, Ibiemi. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. All right, awesome. So today we're going to be talking all about, you know, like Ibiemi said, we're going to be talking about smashing as in shattering limits career limits um we've been told that uh if you're black if you're female if you're this if you're that some things cannot happen for you if you're an immigrant um things are progressing and getting better but certainly there's still a long way to go people have been you know have imbibed this idea that there's certain places that are out of bounds if you're if you're a certain demographic so we're going to be talking all about that today, how there are people that are breaking through these barriers and we want to learn all about it. So Ibiemi, I'm someone, you're someone that I know, that I know from observing your life and your career trajectory that you have, you have smashed some barriers, haven't you? <laughs> well, um, yes, I have, but honestly, I can't take all the credit. But yes, yes, um, I have by, yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know, you know, by, you know, and it is, um, if, you, if you didn't catch, if you didn't particularly catch what I said in, in the profile in the intro, 
she sits on the board and she leads the UK division. As in, we're talking about a multinational, right? A multinational company in the Western world. And she not only sits on the board, she leads the UK division. So from someone that went to school in Nigeria um, and all that, um, we know that it is definitely not impossible. So I want to, I want, I want you, uh, Biemi, to basically tell me how, where all this started. I mean, there are so many people that come into, for example, the United Kingdom and maybe other Western countries with aspirations. They're very well educated, right? Um, they have their degree, some have their masters, but you look around and there are too many stories of. Um, someone ending up maybe working as a cleaner or working as an office assistant or the real desire they have for their career not necessarily being realized or even going with the flow. Okay, what's popular nowadays? Let's go and do that. They may make some money, but what they truly, truly, truly want to do, maybe it's like, okay, there's no opening there. So they sort of settle. Where did your own journey begin? I mean, was it always on the cards? Are you the, you know, do you, when you look back, does it feel like you got a first class? After first class, they were just hunting for you, saying we want to have you, or was it a different story? I think that's a great question, Naomi. And honestly, when I hear, you know, you just talking about my background, my career profile and all that, sometimes I'm amazed, I'm amazed myself. And the reason is because I certainly didn't start out that way. I didn't, I didn't think, you know, years down the line that I'll look back and I'll be very, very um, pleasantly surprised at where I am now. It, de it definitely didn't start, you know, as, you know, straight A's, glowing profile um, from back in university days. And there were predictions ahead that I was going to be so successful in my career. I have to be honest about that. And I'll go back you know, to my uni days, whereby it was pretty much ordinary. I was an average student at best. And I think I have to also admit that I think I, I was quite disillusioned and disappointed in a lot of things. I, I recognized asymmetries in quite a lot of things while I was in uni. And that got me quite detached. So I didn't necessarily feel the need to go beyond the average to reach higher than to aim high and all of that. But I'll tell you something that kept me through. Right at an, at an early age in life, I had this internal image. Now I can tell you about I must have been very young when I saw myself in a boardroom influencing people, guiding and shaping their ideas. And I couldn't shake off that image. That image sort of pervaded everything in my life, but there was no clear direction hmm. so how to bring it into reality but as i finished um my 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 course which was law i was an average student as i said i came out with a tutu nothing spectacular i was um set, okay so I, I went to law school in nigeria as well and i think it was while i was in law school that things started to incubate i think that was the incubation period where I started to think about what was going to happen next. And around me, there wasn't really anything pulling me. You know, what kept coming back was that image I had of myself. Mm. So I began to research and ask questions there. And it was while I was in law school that I gathered, you know, bits and pieces of information of, you know, 
what that picture could, you know, things that could help me develop that image that I had within me. And I realized that a role of a company secretary afforded me that opportunity. It was a light bulb moment for me. And I also later found out that there was actually a professional avenue. Now, all these things, I didn't have it figured out. Even when I applied, you know, for my, um, applied to study law, I didn't have it figured out. Mm. But as I found more, I became more curious. I became more excited about all of these things. And I think that was actually the beginning of my journey to relocating to England, even though I'd come several times on holiday, but that was it. I never saw England as the place where my dream would actually come to reality. But when I found out that um, to, during the professional qualifications, one of the places where it was being offered was in the UK, I thought, okay, UK it is. If that's the next step, then let's, you know, let's pursue that. And coming here, it was actually quite interesting to realize that things weren't necessarily what I projected in my head. And I remember very, very clearly one of my friends that I shared my plans with, who told me in very blunt terms that, look, you're deluding yourself. There is no future there. You know, significant number of people that travel out to the UK or to the Western part of the world end up disillusioned, end up settling for less, end up in places they never imagined. And I'm so grateful now that even though I, I, I kind of listened to what that person was saying, I didn't allow it to deter me. I just listened and I shook it off. <laughs> but I decided to stay to the UK in pursuit of my dreams. And on getting here, I mean, interestingly, the first few people I spoke with echoed, you know, my friend's thoughts that, look, it's great that you're here, um, but this is our advice to you. These are the areas of law that you could practice. And one of those areas, when they mentioned it, I knew definitely that that wasn't what I was going to do. I really, really have a lot of admiration and respect for people that practice that area of law. But it was nothing, it, it didn't even fit anywhere in my mental picture and the image that I had. So I immediately knew that that wasn't going to happen for me. But this person, others, you know, all the other advisors, they said things like, well, these are the areas of law that people like us practice in. And I think at that moment, that just triggered a defiance in me. It just out to settle. Because all, I think one of the things that's guided my life is, look, the fact that you haven't done it or you've not seen it done doesn't mean it can't happen. So the moment I heard that, in fact, it crystallized my resolve, my determination to try, even though I didn't have any idea how I would, you know, how I'd achieve, how I'd, how I'd achieve that result. It just made me realize that I needed to try. I didn't want to accept what that person had said. I said, thank you very much for the advice. I know people like us in quotes, don't do this area, you know, don't practice this area of law, but thank you. I just, you know, I, I thank the person politely. Okay, but inside me, I, I want I want to unpack that a little bit because I think I think that might actually be an answer to a lot of questions that people that maybe immigrate or whatever it is or are even pushing boundaries where they are in their own country or whatever it is, because at that point you you had an image that you that you had held onto as a child since you were a child. And you come 
very I'm, I'm pretty sure very optimistic like okay this is my dream you researched and you thought i want to be a company secretary i want to be on the board of you know multinationals etc but then the reality is very different to the dream and all these voices have gathered together and they have said listen we have been here for a while we are the ones with the experience why don't you do this go this way and this is how you're going to sort of at least find your footing in this space what gave you i really i know i don't know if you'll be able to answer this because sometimes you just know and the strength comes from nowhere but at that point where it would have been logical to follow the path that had already been carved where quite a number of people that were able to at least make something of their lives here in the UK are giving that advice, but there was something pulling in a different direction. What gave you that strength? Where did the strength come from to go for it anyway, knowing that, well, what are the odds, right? Some people are saying, listen, if you try and go that way, you could end up back as in you, you might, it could be what you could be worse off. What, what made you have that result? Because a lot of people, to be honest, once they maybe decide this is what I want to do, once the voices are loud enough, they tend to de default to that. How can you stand out? Very good question. And I think even now, as I think about it, and I try, I try to cast my mind back, I'll be very honest. I think even from the point where I shared my dreams, my ideas with my friend, and that person said to me, look, you're deluding yourself. I think something shifted in me because in every, you know, inherent in us, we have, we may not necessarily have the full details, but we have an idea of the level of strength and perseverance that we could muster. And the moment someone tries to put a lid on that, I think naturally you would, you would immediately respond to that. You'd react to that. I think those were trigger points for me where, Blatantly, I was told, don't do it because you can't. And immediately, that just set off something else in me that, okay, why should you be the one to tell me I can't? And I think a lot of times, if we take up that, you know, because it usually starts with that mm. spark inside, well, why did this person say I can't do it? What, what gives them the impression? And if we pursue that thought and just follow it, allow it lead us, it might, you'll be surprised where it would, you know, lead you to so for me i think that was where the journey started hearing my friend say to me going to uk oh forget it this is where you're going to end up and i'm like okay fine i am actually going there and then getting to uk and then listening to people who've been here who've done that tell me oh now that you're here these are the areas you can you know these are the safety zones you can't go out of these confines because there is no place we are not accepted in those other areas, corporate law, are you dreaming? Mm. And I'm thinking, okay, yes, I'm dreaming, but why do you want to tell me I can't attain it? And I think inherent in us is that ability to pursue that thought, that idea that, look, even if I don't succeed, I shouldn't be afraid to try. I shouldn't be afraid to, you know, to be creative, to be ingenious. Mm. And I think, People probably have it in different measures. I probably have it in a large measure, and that's helped me. It's helped my journey. But I'll probably say it started from there, the idea that I wasn't ready to just accept people's, you know, people's opinions, people's reservations and all that, and take that as law. Mm. I wanted to try. 
in spite of all those, you know, evidence that seems to be out there. Absolutely. So I think that was one of those things that helped yeah. me and propelled me. Each time I was met with opposition, it kind of fueled the desire stronger. So I yeah. think that... I, I completely agree with that. And I, I, I see what you're saying. And that may, that may I think that's a differentiating factor because um, you you were not pursuing um, leave to remain or indefinite leave to remain. You were not pursuing a British passport. You were not like, oh, I want to live in England by force. You were pursuing a dream. And wherever that dream took you is where you were going to go. And I think that is why when people were telling you, oh, don't, you know, this is the safest way probably to be able to stay in this country and to practice in this country. If your dream was to live in the UK doing anything, then it probably would have been easy to go. And I say this because I remember when I, when I came into this country, the only thing I knew was I did not want to be an engineer. <laughs> practicing after i studied engineering i i think i worked in engineering for a few months after i graduated i'm like no no i'm gone as in i there's no way but i went into teaching because as soon as i think it was my brother that said what about teaching as soon as he said it i like you i remembered i had if an image had flashed in my mind as a child i just saw myself standing in front of you know a classroom and teaching like what is this you know and i dismissed it but as soon as he said it that image came back but as i got into teaching i now realized that there was so because teaching at the time was an easy easy passage into getting your visa your leave to remain there were almost almost everyone that i talked to that was an immigrant they were there to get papers and i'm thinking are you crazy you're doing this job to <laughs> This is like the worst job you can do to get. If I was not here because I loved it, I would have checked out a long time ago. But it just, it makes, what you're saying makes absolute sense to me. That it is, if you pursue the dream, then nothing else would be able to stop you. Because it's not, you're not doing it to get some kind of comfort. You're doing it because there's a dream in your heart. That's awesome. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Please go on. <laughs> But yes, right, precisely. I couldn't even, I mean, in terms of wanting to stay and all of that, I don't remember dwelling on those things at all. I was just focusing on the fact that, look, I want to be a company secretary. Everything else fades in the background. And the more people told me I couldn't, the more my resolve was strengthened and filled. So I just pursued it vigorously with everything in me. Now, that didn't mean that I was going to succeed. I didn't know at that point whether I was going to. But what I knew for certain was that I wasn't going to be told what to do with my life or whether to settle for less. I wanted to make that decision, and I wanted to be responsible for that decision. So I came here, and pretty much as you know, I've been told, it just looked bleak. I remember taking... Um, the courses, the lectures for the professional qualifications and in the classroom, maybe one or two of us were probably the only ethnic minorities and the rest of them, as you can imagine, were Caucasians. And I'll quickly go to that, my friend. Oh, how are you? You know, what are you doing? We talked, we subscribed to the magazine, the ICSA, um, this institute is the Institute of Chartered Secretaries and Administrators. And I would look at the 
earnings for these rules. And I was like, I'm sure the first time I saw it, my heart was like 10 beats. Like, these people earn so much because for me, I just wanted to be a company secretary. Yeah. But when I saw even the earning profile, I was positively amazed. <laughs> and I thought, wow, it must be very, very prestigious. And I even just sort of felt that desire to attain it. So I was working and I was studying, but I kept my focus on the results. I kept my focus on getting the qualifications. I was also applying, but I wasn't getting any positive response. Hmm. Now, this who had qualified in Nigeria as a qualified solicitor and barrister, because in Nigeria, you, you know, you, once you go to law school, you attain both qualifications. One of the things I found over here was that there were actually two streams you could go by. You could actually go by, you know, qualifying as a barrister or as a solicitor. I was like, okay, but I want to be a company secretary. So I kept my focus. I carried on with the ICSA. Um, while I was studying, I was also looking for roles because a lot of the people in the class, classes that I attend, I found out that quite a lot of them were already acting as company secretaries. And I kept on applying for these roles. Now, the breakthrough came when one of the companies that I'd applied to, actually, it wasn't even the company. It was one of the agencies that I registered with. They needed someone desperately, someone who was immediately available, but could come and do some sort of low level. When I say low level, if you look at you know the profile of a solicitor in the UK and the profile of a company secretarial assistant, which was what I was being offered to do, I would, um, you would just turn in the other direction and say, no, you know, as a solicitor, I shouldn't do that. Hmm. But I just wrapped it with hmm. everything. I was like, yes, I want this role so desperately. I want to do it. So I went for it. Even the person who led that department wasn't a qualified solicitor. So technically, I could have been that person. But I knew that, look, I wanted to cross a big hurdle. Hmm. And that big hurdle was getting into the professional gaining an entry point as a company secretary. So I went there like a sponge willing to soak up all the information, all the knowledge wow. that I could. Awesome. I, I just, you know, the story is too good. I need to, <laughs> there's so many, if someone, if you're listening to this, listen well, because she's telling a story, but she's also dropping some serious, serious nuggets. Now, what I'm hearing you say is sometimes you need to make a sacrifice, but make a sacrifice that leads you in the direction of your dream. So I started exactly. by, by saying someone may come into the UK and they're, they're, they might be, you know, they have their BSc, they may even have their MSc or whatever it is. And they come in and they say, oh, the only job I can do is a cleaner. If one day, right? If it's the direction that's going to take you to your dream, whether you start off as a cleaner to get experience, then you start your own cleaning company because you want to own the biggest cleaning company in the world, then it doesn't matter. It's a sacrifice and it's several steps down, but it's leading you somewhere, which is what I've heard you say. You were a qualified solicitor and barrister, and you went to take a job, company secretarial assistant, right? You could have been the boss of the big boss in the place, but you took the job because it was going to lead you to where you were going. That's amazing. That's amazing. So know when to make the sacrifice, make sure it is a sacrifice that is taking you in the direction of your dream. Awesome. Please. 
Yes, so, <laughs> so I took on the role and one of the key um, functions of that role was to conduct a due diligence um, program for all the acquisitions that the company was making at the time. And I think they wanted someone to come and look at it, tidy it up, ensure that the information that were on files were actually consistent with what the company's house repository for company details were actually um, correspondent. So I went in there and I had a job, like my life depended on it. Mm. I was there early. I'll probably be one of the last few to go. But beyond just learning the technical work, I was looking at the environment, the professional environment, how company secretaries responded to queries, how they behaved, how they interacted with business itself, with the business itself, how they advised all the, you know, the business segments. Because I realized that I was in a new environment, very different from the environment I'd come from. I don't know whether anyone told me specifically to do that, but I was just curious. I was just very curious. So I would observe people, I would listen to, you know, their intonation, the things they were saying, how they were saying it and all of that. And I think that that was probably one of my biggest learning centers, hmm. getting on, just soaking up all the knowledge that I could, both technical and soft one. So I left um, at the end of the contract and I think my next contract was something that was quite administrative, was a very, very administrative aspect of being a company secretary. And I didn't really like that, but I stayed at it because that was where I gained the experience of, you know, a software that was used in my profession for managing, you know, the admin and mundane company secretarial administrative tasks. So I think for me, I realized also that there was another key asset there. There's the software. I didn't even know it existed prior to then. I want to learn about it. And I started to use it until I became proficient with it. There were days I didn't even want to go into the office because I felt like, God, this job is just not me. But each time I remembered that there was something I was learning and picking up, I'd go in there. And when I felt that I had sufficient knowledge about it, I started to look again. I put my CV out again. I added that you know, piece of knowledge to my CV. I updated my CV with that experience and I put it out there. And the big break came where this private, large private organization, a, um, a property um, management company and property development company, they needed someone who could come in and set up their company secretarial um, team. And interestingly, the two people who interviewed me had no real knowledge or clue about what it could look like. So when I was invited for the interview, as usual, I did all my preparation, but I had this confidence because I just felt like, look, I'm going there together. <laughs> so, where where did the confidence come from? What, what gave you that confidence? I, I must say that a lot of times, the way I see myself when I'm confronted with an obstacle is this. It's either you get me or I get you. Now, if I know that this thing is going to lead me to my destination or it's something that means so much to me, I don't leave any stone unturned. I give all the required attention, even the mundane things, things that people would overlook. I, so I was all over it. Mm -hmm. I just back to my experience, my, you know, my legal qualification. 
I put everything together and I just started thinking about how I could go into the that organization and add value. Remember, this was a green field that they, you know, they wanted to set up. So I just said, you know what? I am going to go there and provide solutions. So I went there. It was quite strange because at the interview, they must have believed in the things that I was saying because they kept nodding <laughs> in affirmation and were quite impressed. Now, nothing, nothing, because I also like to be realistic in my expectations. Nothing at that meeting confirms to me that I was going to get the role. But later on, I was called and they said they really liked my confidence and I was offered the role. And I think that was my, a pivotal point in my career because I was then able to say, look, you know what, all that training, all that experience that you acquired, you know, when you came and that big break came, you can now let it culminate into something tangible, put it to use. I mean, I was so passionate about making a good impression. Every day, that was what guided my, you know, my, my work, my daily work, ensuring that I did it diligently, ensuring that I was excellent in, you know, doing what I was doing. So I did that. And I must say, it doesn't mean that everything went on smoothly, but every time there was a challenge, I would go back to the fact that, look, this is the life, this is what you've always wanted to do. And I would go back and tackle it head on. So I did that for a number of years. And then interestingly, something happened. I think this was around 2008 when the global recession um, of the financial crisis occurred. And suddenly there were lesser opportunities. Organizations were going leaner. And interestingly, my role was at, was at risk. And I think a few weeks into it, my manager called me into his office and told me about the fact that my role was at risk. However, he just feels that I'm of value to the organization. He doesn't want to lose me. He went and put in a good word for me. He also went and modified my role to bring me in into more property, core property work. Now, merging it with my company secretarial hat. So what that would then mean was that I would be advising the company as a property solicitor but then I'll also be advising the board and the directors as company secretary. When he was sharing that news, I probably almost fell off my chair because it was unbelievable. Hmm. One, it made me realize that, you know, there are certain things about you that would speak for you when there are no words. Because at that point, he could have just accepted the fact that my, my role was at risk and he could have just trimmed me off the team and said, well, we don't really need or we can find a way to facilitate that work so we can let go of her. But he, he didn't do that. He went, he was confident. Because at that point, I had no property experience, remember? Hmm. My experience was really core corporate and company secretarial. But he said, if you're willing to learn, I'll we'll teach you. We have a great team here. I was just saying yes to everyone. <laughs> oh, okay. That blew my mind. I didn't think never someone going all out on my behalf based on you know my performance or my perceived value within the organization. And this is an organization where I was probably the only ethnic minority. Right. So it wasn't like there were so many of us and we were just doing exceptionally well. No. So there are a few things. There are a few, as I was listening, there, you know, I, I want you to talk more about a couple of things. There are a few things 
that I that my ears, you know, picked up <laughs> as I was listening to you. And um, I think three things. I hope I can remember because I didn't write them down. The first one, one of the things I heard you say, because I I noticed that these are probably I was going to ask this question later on, but by sharing your story, we're already gleaning from this the things that hold us back that stop ethnic minorities from shattering that ceiling. There was something you said about when you got your first that first role as a company secretarial assistant that when you you didn't just learn the trade as, as in the technical part of it but you actually opened your eyes you began to understand the culture the i, I heard you say the intonation the way people speak um the way they comport themselves now there's this idea that oh to be quote unquote authentic uh, I'm black, I'm Nigerian, I'm, I'm female, I'm like this, I'm like this, you know, why can't they just accept me the way I am? What do you say to that? Because some, some are of the opinion that, well, if I'm, if I'm like this, why should I become like this? And someone might say, well, um, you know, I don't want to lose my soul. What's the balance of the authenticity that may actually hold somebody back from making the adjustments that they need to make in a new culture, understanding that you you grew up in a different culture and you've come into a brand new culture and you say you want to progress in this new culture, what do you have to say to that? I think that's a very, very important point, an interesting point. And there's so many debates out there. I agree with you. People say that, you know, you have to be your authentic self. You have to, you know, people should accept you. The way you are and I don't have anything against that I can definitely see the point but the questions and idea I put forward is you must realize that we are multi-dimensional human beings the way I relate with my child because I've got a daughter a preschooler is not the way I'd relate with my colleagues and I could get into the office and decide well because I've got and because I'm a mom this is the way I want to relate the way I relate with my colleagues is not the way I relate with my mother. I think that a lot of times we feel that we're losing ourselves when we rise to the occasion of what is required in order to deliver or in order to achieve what we're trying to achieve. Otherwise, we'll miss the target. In a boardroom, when people are speaking in a certain way, and then all of a sudden you just come there and you say, oh, you're raising your voice above theirs, for instance. You, you're not mindful of the culture and you try and, you know, just sort of disrupt things not necessarily because you have a real agenda all you're trying to do is say well this is who i am most likely you will shoot yourself in the foot so my question is do you really lose your authenticity by rising to the demand of what is required i don't necessarily agree for instance people still say me one of the things that my colleagues laugh about is when i go into the office with a new hairstyle with different things, those are things that make I enjoy those things. So I don't necessarily lose myself. I, I, I talk about my culture. I cook my, you know, all of those delicacies that I eat, those that are local to me. I take them into the office. They eat it there. In fact, I think for me, what people really need to look at is what really makes you authentic. Is it the things that you have learned hmm. from a different cultural environment? that you hmm. invite or what is really true to who you are hmm. what makes you a mother what makes you a, a friend what makes you a professional what makes you a wife 
I think those are multidimensional hats. I don't wow. think that you necessarily your authenticity by rising to the demand of what's required. A CEO of a company will not go into the office relating with, you know, all the other colleagues like he would relate with his child. He may be very ruthless and be perceived to be very fierce and no-nonsense in the office, or in his domestic life, he's very amiable. He doesn't lose himself by being those things. He's just rising to the occasion of what is required. I think that's probably my view on... Oh, on wow. That that that's stunning. You know, I you know it's a it's a it's a it's a beautiful way. And I I, I think the way you've described it, you started off by saying that we're multidimensional beings. Nobody's one dimensional. You can't be one person to all people, right? Even Paul in the Bible said to the how did he say it? I'm going to misquote it now. To the Jews, I'm I'm a Jew or something. To the Romans, I'm like this. So we need to learn how to be flexible, particularly, and I love the way you threw it out as a challenge, rising to the occasion, right? What is required of you in that season? What do you need to be or who do you need to be in order to take you forward? And we can't put a limitation and say, I'm not going to do that, which that limitation is actually now self-imposed because you know, you're saying, I don't want to change. I don't want to become like this. Meanwhile, it's limiting you from achieving what you say you want. I think that's so beautiful. The second thing that I picked up from what you said was when you when you did the, and I noticed that you were doing jobs that were, again, taking you towards your dream. The second one you said was very, very administrative and not it's, you know, very exciting, but very quickly you realized that there was a software that if you stayed in that job, you would learn how to use it. And even when you didn't feel like doing it, because I don't know, maybe it was boring or something or not something you wanted to do, you still went in and you were willing to learn it and master it. Do you think it was things like that, that your boss, when, when it came time for you to, I don't know, when your role became at risk, do you think it was things like that? And obviously deciding to, the third thing is you said you always put everything in, no matter how mundane the task was. So do you think these are things that stood you apart? Even though you were, like you said, the only ethnic minority in the whole place, but do you understand? The way the, way the mind is conditioned, you want to go with the majority, don't you? But... When you stand out like that, they, nobody has an, they can't have an argument. Even if the person is racially biased, there is something that will speak for you simply because of those kind of attributes. Do you think that was, those were the kind of things that made him say, no, 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 this person is too valuable? I would probably agree with you to a large extent that those things must have spoken for me. So I think very early in my career life, I also sat down and determined the values that would drive my career. Mm. I said to myself, look, whatever is worth doing at all, then I might as well just leave my footprint in that thing so that people will remember that Ibiemi, when she touches things, this is what you can expect. So I had an image that I wanted to project and all those things that you mentioned, just being dedicated, being diligent, going all out giving whatever is required to achieve, you know, my desired outcome. Those are the things that would drive me. And maybe it was also the 
consistency at which I delivered those things. Mm. So for instance, I remember that some of the things that I did there, in addition to planning the board meetings, I also started suggesting ideas that they must have liked about holding some of those board meetings on site at the designer outlets that we managed. And before we knew it, that also grew to a social activity by in which the directors, the board, they got to know one another. So I, I probably agree to a large extent that there were certain things that I was doing and mm -hmm. adding value that he might have taken note of. Because you must also remember that one of the things that he said to me during that meeting was that, look, I know that you're not a property solicitor, but I think that you're, you know, you, you're bright, you can pick it up. So I believe that he was able to use all those, you know, his knowledge of the things that I do, he was able to then offer me a platform. He was able to offer me a platform to transfer those skills into acquiring an additional, you know, knowledge in a new area, which was property, commercial property. So I agree with you. There are certain things that you have to determine. You have there are certain values that you have to actually sit down and determine that will drive your life, and you must also be committed to those values. Yeah. You mustn't tell yourself, well, look, you know what, I'm tired. Those Because you will find that there will be times where you don't feel like being that person. But it's the consistency. Mm. If you're all over the place, then it probably won't yield as much results as it could. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You know, that is why I knew this was going to be so good <laughs> because I, I should say this at this point that the Emmy is probably one of the strong, well, I'm not saying this in like a blowing, she's a deep, strong Christian as in, you know, she, she and God have this tightness. <laughs> they get each other as in she's strong. She doesn't take steps without, you know, going to God and things like that. And I, I'm really glad that we have sort of gone in the, the direction of values and things, because one of the things that I want to, you know, that I, that I want to highlight, uh, one of the things that I, that I've seen is as Christians, we place a lot of emphasis on the favor of God and on prayer and all those things. And clearly, clearly, without any doubt, the hand of God was upon your life and is still upon your life in orchestrating and positioning in the right places but i also believe that when god positions us somewhere what will keep us there at this at certain aspects of our character um and and the things that we do because i think about david god positioned david and you know the david and goliath thing but when he got into the palace he had several opportunities to try and do away with saul all right, to try and say, listen, I'm, I'm impatient. I just want this throat now. And may, maybe, you know, he had many opportunities, but he chose not to do it because there were certain aspects of his character. And I believe that is one of the reasons why David's dynasty still lives today. So, you know, I just wanted to throw that in that, you know, God, we can't separate God from character because sometimes we think spirituality is just praying and God give me favor. Meanwhile, you can't read the Bible and not understand that there are characters that God expects us to build and develop as well. So I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Okay, so let's go. <laughs> I hope we'll finish this story today. It's too good. I have to keep stopping because it's just too loaded. So you at the point where your boss basically says, what? You're not going anywhere. You're too valuable to us. What happened after that? 
So he, he makes me an offer. And even before he completes the sentence, I'm like, wow, I can't believe that someone would go all out for me at a time where people were being told that they were, their services were no longer required in the, in the business. So that for me was another turning point that made me realize how all those things that I've been doing, it was almost like a validation of all those things that I knew to do, that I wanted to do, of distinguishing myself. All those things were, you know, it just it just validated those things for me. And I I was so I was so happy I accepted that offer. And I started to learn a new area, which was commercial property, in addition to my day hat, which was as a company secretary and corporate um, advisor. And that went really well. Well, it, it went well because I also put in the effort. I was learning two things, I was willing to make mistakes, I was just I was giving it what was required. And because I didn't want to let my boss down as well, because I can imagine what it would have taken mm. him to convince senior management. That's right. That, look, if you allow me, you know, this is someone I need. She's an important resource. Because I know at the end of the day, it all boils down to cost benefits, isn't it? So I, I wanted to also give him something back. Like, look, you know what? I will not disappoint you. So it kind of propelled me to work even harder and give more. So I did that for a few years. And I, because interestingly, all of this that I've been doing, I've been doing it wearing the hat of a company secretary. But then I started to think about, you know, years ahead of my career. So where is this all going? What do I really want to, where, where do I want it all to, you know, to go to? And I realized that, Interestingly, in the UK, when you have like company secretarial departments, especially the bigger type ones, they are usually headed by the office of the general counsel, who would usually be a solicitor. So I thought to myself, okay, I've been a solicitor in Nigeria. I came here, I became company secretary. Maybe it's time to revisit that solicitor um that qualification because you couldn't automatically practice in certain mm. areas here as a solicitor without converting doing the conversion at the time it was called qltt so i started to look into it because i just felt that look if i was going to get to that peak it would be another good you know feather to add to my hat so i started looking at that uh, a few years you know after the reorganization happened and my role was um, oh, my, my role was very, and I realized that one of the easiest ways was to do the conversion exam. Remember that I already had the experience of you know my, being a company secretary for, for for years. So I felt that being a qualified solicitor and company secretary just meant that look, it will put you, it would raise my visibility in the marketplace, not in my organization, but more looking at you know I was looking ahead. Mm. So I decided okay. It's, write these you know, qualifying exams and qualify as a solicitor. And I remember sharing that with my manager. And interestingly, he wasn't qualified himself, but because he had a significant experience, you know, of working in a law office and all that, he could practice. So I told him, and he was also like, oh, that's a great idea that he's been looking to qualify for how be it via a different route because he's, he studied in the UK and then he's white. In the you know, in the course of you know 
researching about how to be a qualified solicitor. I got I got all the information I required. I gathered the information, and I started to look into taking the courses. I was going to take four. I think I was going to take four courses, four papers. Well, I quickly realized that the timing of the examinations were conflicting with my board meetings. Remember, I'm still coming secretary in this organization. So there was that conflicting um, timing and it was really messing up my um, determination. Now, another significant thing that happened was when I told my manager about my desire to do this, he actually put in a good word for me and convinced the organization to pay for my exams. Wow. Now, that actually then, that actually sets, you know, that set into another conflicting situation because this is the company paying. I couldn't just go and focus on the exams mm. and not deliver my day job. So I felt very conflicted and I struggled with this for um, maybe close to maybe the better part of a year. And I'd, feel, I'd, I'd been feeling a, a bit of unrest, like I was getting into that comfort zone. Mm. I knew everything about my commercial property work. I knew everything about my COSEC work. I was, you know, coasting. Mm. I was there. But I also felt like I'd started to get very comfortable. I'd been there, done that. Nothing, there was nothing, nothing. exciting in that. Mm. I mean, that doesn't mean that they weren't projects. But I just felt like I was already going into that comfort zone. So I started to think about how to get out of that. And I knew that qualifying was going to be a very, very significant path towards that. Qualifying as a solicitor in England and Wales. So I took a very hard decision of resigning from my role. And I remember when wow. I spoke with my manager, the first time I spoke with him about my resignation, he just sat there like, you can't be serious. And I'd written out my letter and you just told the letter, like, go and sit down, <laughs> go and think about it. You know, I'm sure in two weeks time, you'll think, you know, you come back with, you know, with a different response. And I laughed and I went, okay, no problem. Two weeks later, I was still as determined as I was. And he realized that I was being serious. Um, it was very, very, it was a very sober time because I also realized how much he had gone, how far he'd gone for me. So in order to give something back, mm. I decided to produce the process documentation about the work that I, you know, the service I provided as company secretary. I wrote down all the, I, I provided a guidance document basically to enable the role continue even after I left. Wow. And I think he was very grateful for that. But I knew that I couldn't sit. If I was going to write that qualifying exams, it would constantly conflict with delivering my job, especially me being someone who wanted to be excellent, who would you know, do the work diligently. So I knew I had to leave. So I gave, I gave the resignation letter. I left um, the organization. And I think one of the things that hit me was the reality of being without a job. <laughs> First few days, I didn't know what to do with myself. I just felt like out of my depth. But immediately I shook myself back like, look, remember, there's a plan. This is what you're supposed to be achieving. You're not here to come and just be a spectator. You need to get back into that mood. And I just immediately changed my mentality to being a student now. 
to getting all the materials that I needed to get. And I started learning and putting a lot of hours. I mean, I was spending literally the whole day in the library because I felt that, look, I'd given something significant up and I couldn't afford not to achieve the results that I desired. So I wasn't going to mess about with acquiring those qualifications. And that was the mindset that I had. I gave it all the required time. I had time on my hands. I was spending my days in the library because I wanted to do it. Well, I didn't want to just do it. I wanted to do it well. And I'm so grateful to God that when the results came out, I had glowing results. And then I think for me, that was another, that was a very, very sober point where I felt like I worked hard at something and I'd seen the results. I'd seen corresponding results. So I started to look and think about the next stage. So what is what is out there for me? And I remember going through, you know, the profiles or the type of roles that I wanted, I was looking at now. And it wasn't, you know, those years back where I was looking at a magazine where I saw the earnings of the company secretary and I almost <laughs> lost my balance. Now I felt more, I felt more in tune with that. I felt like, okay, yes, I'm in the marketplace. I felt like I could rise up to providing that value. So I wasn't going to settle for, you know, just any role. I was setting my sights really high, my expectations very high. One of the pivotal points also was where I started talking to recruitment consultants to look at what was in, you know, out there in the marketplace. And on my way to um, a particular consultant, I just had one where I felt like my CV wasn't really saying enough about me. I got to her and she was telling me about the roles and the market and all of that. And I said, please, do you mind? I interjected her and I said to her, I just have this feeling that I'm not really saying, I'm not saying, I'm not selling myself mm. as much as I could in my CV. Could you please have a look and tell me what you think? And she was, just, she stopped there and she said, in her career, in, in her entire God knows how many years of doing that role, that not many people had stopped to ask her that question. And she's not the type to be intrusive and all that, but that she would tell me, and she went through a process of actually coaching me on wow. how to sell yourself, how to you know create that brand, to bring out that USP and distinguish yourself using that CV. Hmm. I went back home with strides, very you know <laughs> great strides in my steps, with springs in my steps. And I got home, I did a CV revamp, I shared it with people and I tested it. I put it in the marketplace and the calls started to roll in. Wow. I mean, literally I was getting calls. I was getting interview offers. And here I sat down and I thought to myself, look, as much as these calls are coming, I need to make sure I don't get carried away. Okay. I need to Wait, we have to stop again. So a difference of literally reviewing and, you know, again, that's another lesson there. You, you just strike me as someone that is that is a lifelong learner. You're always looking for ways to improve yourself. And that is why you felt, you know, you could ask the lady to, to show you, to say, can you please show me what you think is wrong with this? But, you know, I also, one thing I also know about you, you're someone that is also um, very good at CVs. You know, you can look at it and obviously that's probably where your journey began. Could you throw in one or two things straight away as in someone um that's job hunting or looking to you know change roles what are what are the kind of 
kinds of things that you altered in your CV from not many calls coming in to then making a few changes and then there you go, calls started coming in. Like maybe one or two distinct things that somebody listening to this can immediately go and, go and change. Very good question. I think one of the key things that I would say about the CV is that it's like a personal branding tool. Mm. If you think about you putting a brand to yourself and then you want to get customers to buy your product or service, then you would have a rethink about how you brand yourself in your CV. A lot of times people focus on writing or what they've done. Or they even write things like, oh, they put all those skills that they've acquired there, which is beautiful. But also remember that you only have so many pages mm. to write on. And before you know it, you don't want to get that person who is reviewing your CV board. I always focus on speaking very clearly about your capabilities. And one of the ways that you can do that is to paint a picture mm. of what you did and, you know, I think... It's a journey, but if you think about the fact that you have only one shot at getting a customer to, you know, to actually buy your product or service, focus on your capabilities and focus on the narrative that brings you out, that makes you jump out and tell someone who is reviewing that if this person did this, then the person could probably do that. So rather than focus on, oh, I have interpersonal skills, I have communication, that's it. I see a lot of CVs. They list all those things there. Yes. But can you demonstrate to me how you deploy those skills and what the results were? Because if you think about it, when you get to the interview, those are the questions that you'll be asked. They want to actually find out whether those things you're saying are true. They want to be sure that the, 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 the kind of things that they are thinking or their observation is right. So the interview is really a case of you going there to share more examples that elaborate or expressions of what you or what you've said so don't go wasting that space with things about oh interpersonal skills communication skills no write down how so that it gives them a picture in their head remember you're trying to paint a picture in the mind of the person reading your cv write how say something you did and how those things that you claim to have were put to use and say it succinctly so i think it's really about painting a picture, a compelling picture, yeah. use either personal examples or, you know, professional examples of your capabilities. Great. I, I think that's, I think that's beautiful. Um, be, almost like you're interspacing a CV with a personal statement. Uh, exactly. Yes. Because in a personal statement, you don't say, you don't list, <laughs> you say, you give examples. Uh, I, while I was this, I da da da, and these and you basically use the scenario to tell them about the skill rather than say, I have interpersonal skills. You demonstrate it by what you did. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. Okay. So please continue. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I started to get the calls and at this <clears throat> point, I knew that I also needed to focus on the outcome. I wanted to go make that next leap in my career, mm. um, in my career. And I wanted to be very intentional about the next steps. So as the calls came in, I began to eliminate the ones that I felt were not taking me in the direction that I felt like I wanted to go. Um, 
I shortlisted down to about five interviews. Interestingly, one of those interviews, I think it was a role that I had no direct technical skills for. It was a treasury, senior treasury manager role or something very senior like that and, you know, strategic. But out of, you know, one of those moments where you just were like, you know, I'm just going to press apply and push out my CV <laughs> just for the fun of it. And then I got a response. And out of pure curiosity and intrigue, I said, oh, really? Okay. And I was invited for the interview. At the interview, it was very clear. I made it clear and they understood that I had no treasury skills or not any technical knowledge whatsoever. But as we continued with the interview, it was just quite, it was a bit um, surreal because the lady just kept, you know, following our conversation. At the end of the interview, she said she was going to speak with the recruiter, the headhunter. They went and had a conversation. She came back, she said, you know what? We're very, very happy. It's very clear that you are not suited for this role, but we like you and we want to offer you another role. And then, and then a role was created for me with relocation because the role was wow. going to be in Prague. But that was one of the significant things for me that made me realize that my personal values and all those things mm. actually culminating in helping me move to that next, to make that next leap. I shortlisted, eventually I didn't go for the role, I shortlisted to where I am today, which is a telecoms organization. Casting my mind back to why I decided on this role, one of the things that I felt it would do was to stretch me. I think that I looked at the, the, the spec and I felt that actually there are a few gaps, but if I can convince them of my willingness hmm. to learn and to sort of spread myself and eventually absorb those, you know, learn and all of that, I would be able to perform. And that was my target. I prepared for the interview. I went into that room, that meeting room, I gave it my best shot. I would later find out that the last, you know, because they, they, they shortlisted us to two, the other person was about eight or nine years ahead of me in terms of experience. Wow. And he also had industry knowledge so he had worked in the telecoms um before but they chose me um i can't tell you i can't take much credit in terms of the technical skills and the experience but i think that there was a passion that i was exuding that must have impressed them and i can't also take away the factor that i had favor from god but where i'm going is i put it i put in my best i really wanted that role so i got the role and i knew that okay this is a new season I've talked to myself into this opportunity. <laughs> they think, you know, they, they like me, but I have to now convince them that I am capable of, you know, delivering all those things that I said I can deliver. And that took a lot of effort. I was spending 12-hour days easily for weeks. It was baptism by fire. I was also advising the more mature board, with, you know, it was just a different environment. Remember that I'd come from a commercial property background and I was coming into IT and telecoms. So there were also new things I needed to learn. And the moment I realized that I knew I had to go back to the drawing board. What did I do when I was at that former company? How did that help me? And I just deployed those skills immediately because I wasn't going to take, there was no, failure was not an option. It was not an option. So I did that. And quite to my surprise, 
surprise. Within a year of joining the organization, I was offered a promotion. I sat down, I remember sitting now in that room with the with my boss and after all she said everything and offered me the promotion, I just said, Wow, how did this happen? Because wow. I had projected three years. What, mainly because I felt that I needed to acquire that industry knowledge and understanding. I also felt like I needed to grow into the role, but it happened within a year. And I think setting a target helped me hmm. to kind of see how I developed and evolved into being that person that I wanted to project myself as. So I got the promotion and I just that just fueled my resolve to even do more. Now, a few years into the role, I went on maternity leave. I got back into my into my role, and I remember, I think the first few days of going back to the office, my boss said to me, here is this new regulation, general data protection regulation. Um, you are the data protection officer. Fix it. Deliver the compliance program. That was another pivotal point <laughs> in my career where... I felt it was a sink or swim moment. I just come back from maternity. I just kind of felt like I wasn't quite ready. And I remember going back home thinking, okay, BME, this is it. What are the options here? You can accept defeat that, well, to be honest, you can't really deliver the compliance program because you just want to accept that you can't. Mm. Or you can roll up your sleeves and tell yourself that look for your boss to be asking you to do it, then maybe there is something that she sees in you or you decide what you want to do. And knowing me, I thought, okay, this is a challenge. I can't miss up the opportunity to try and deliver. And that's how I also evolved in the business. And I delivered the data protection program. Now, I'm going to say certain things. I remember at the end of, um, towards the end of the program, one of the senior directors in the business said, oh, by the way, um, they're quite shocked that I was able to deliver it because they were certain that I would struggle. They were so certain that, you know, it would be a break for me. Wow. I sat down because for this person to have blurted out this word, you can imagine the conversation that must have taken place behind the scene. And I just sat down and thought, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I took up the challenge. And I remember during my, one of my reviews, my boss was, she was, she was just glowing. She was, my whole, my, my review that uh, quarter, no, that, that media review was probably the best I'd had in years. She said for her, one of the key things was just seeing me immediately apply those transferable skills that I had and delivering, focusing on the target and delivering on it. And that really humbled me because here I was now, you know, I have the family, I have so many other things that I was doing and I just focused, focused on the outcome. Did I also mention that I also enrolled to study an LLM to do a master's degree. <laughs> that was also part of the mix. So it really, for me, I think that was one of the humbling points of my career where I got glowing reviews from trying to juggle many balls but still delivering, you know, the outcome 
we're not just delivering it in a mediocre way, delivering it to a point where someone would say to you, you didn't even think that you'd succeed. How much more deliver the program successfully? So when I look back at where I started from and you know how I evolved into this person that adds value, I just realized that at every point in time, you mustn't give up on yourself. You must never give up on yourself and you must also never put a lead on yourself or allow people place limitations or put a lead on you. The moment you allow it, that is the end. You would fight, but you would not be able to you know, go beyond that lead you've placed on yourself or you've allowed people place on you. I mean, I can easily say that because of that, you know, I, I remember when I started my journey, there weren't many um, images, there weren't many role models, remember? It wasn't like, you know, the, the marketplace was filled with company secretaries, you know, ethnic minority company secretaries doing exceptionally well. But now I see that just focusing and just saying to myself, that, look, whatever it is the outcome will be, I'm going to try. I'm not going to accept whatever you know, people have said based on their experience, which I don't, you know, I don't relate to anything, but I just wanted to go at it. I wanted to see how far I would get giving it my best shot. So yes, it's, wow. it's a constant learning curve for me. Wow. Wow. Um, I, you know, from, from, from what you're saying, is it, is this, is it, um, is it fair to say that one of the guiding principles of your career and possibly even your life is whatever you produce, you always want to be proud of it? As when 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 it said that done, like I want I want it to be something that I look at and I'm proud of myself for delivering this. I think without a doubt, you just you just said it in this in that statement that look, anytime I set you know myself to embark on a task, I always I'm guided by that thought that look, if I'm going to go into it, there is no one there is no place for excuses. There is no place for always oh, because no, I'm going to go in there and I have to leave it in such a way that when I look back, when I reflect. I would smile knowing that really gave me my best. Yes. So, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. A lot, a lot has been packed into this episode and I'm so grateful to you, BME, um, for, for, you know, sharing all of this, for, you know, being very open, for sharing your story and for also allowing us to draw all these lessons from them. I know that there are people listening to this that definitely this is going to help them and I'm so grateful. Thank you for coming on the Super Abona Life Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really, really, really grateful for this, you know, for this platform. Thank you. And I must commend you as well for the great work you're doing. You continue to inspire me every time. Um, well done for the great work. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. So that brings us to the end of this episode. This is one to listen back to again and again, because as I said, you have to really listen to listen. Uh, she shared her story, but there were so many lessons there that should you know, be extracted and that will help you as well. And yes, that's me done for this week and I will be back next week. Thank you. Bye. All right. <laughs>